So today's sermon's on confession, about your alarm clock and how you respond to it in the mornings. Because you are at your truest self when the alarm clock goes off. So some of you uh, needed to be in church this morning. <laughs> I'm Gary Weber. I'm the pastor here at Southside. I'm so glad you're here with us today. And I'm glad you picked today to come if it's your first time, if you're a guest with us, because we are beginning a brand new series here at Southside that we're calling Awakening. And it's more than a sermon series. I'll, I'll fill you in a little bit more as we go along. It's really a season of time that we're setting aside as a church and as individual Christians just to seek an awakening from God, that we would be fully awake, fully alive, and fully aware of Him uh, around us. You know, as as we've been preparing for this uh, series and for this season in the life of our church, I was thinking about the times where I have drifted off to sleep. And maybe you've done this too. You know, those moments you didn't plan to go to sleep, but you just sort of dozed off slowly. Some of you will experience that before the time I'm done speaking today. Um, and I know who you are because I see you every week. So it's, you know, no, no offense taken. If, if, if you come here and find rest in the Lord, I take that as a success. So, but, but there's times in life where we, where we drift off to sleep uh, when we didn't mean to do it. Maybe, maybe for my family, I know if we ever go see a matinee, which I like to go see matinees because they're cheaper. So, and there are six of us, you know, so when we go see a movie, if we go see a matinee, but the problem is it's for me, it's like a $9 nap because inevitably if I, it's in the afternoon, I'm going to drift off to sleep during the the course of the movie. So movies are one place we do it. Uh, maybe some of you back in school for a week, I don't know if, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but anybody doze off in class during the first week of school? Okay, we got one hand back there confessing. Maybe you've done it at school. Maybe maybe you've pulled a George Costanza in your office and created a sleeping place underneath your desk. I don't, again, I don't want you to have to confess right now. Uh, and of course, you know, of course it's logical to think about doing that in church. It's a sleepy Sunday morning and you might doze off. But when you do that. I want you to think, and we've all done it at some point. We've fallen asleep and didn't intend to. I want you to think about when you woke up from that. Like that sudden, whatever it was, maybe somebody elbowed you and you you jarred awake, or, or maybe somebody called your name in class and said, Ryan, and like, whoop, you know, suddenly you're awake. Whatever it was, think about that moment when you were first sort of awakened from that unexpected sleep and the utter terror and confusion that you felt. Like, was I snoring? You know, was I drooling? Was I talking in my sleep? You know, did I just miss something? What does this teacher, I didn't even hear the question, what is this teacher expecting me to say right now? When we doze off to sleep that, and nobody goes in intending to doze off to sleep, but when we do it, and then when something suddenly jars us awake, there is just this moment of, of panic and terror, and you've got to try to find your equilibrium again. But I want you to think about more than just physical sleep because it's not just that we doze off to sleep with our eyes closed. Sometimes we do it with our eyes wide open. Think about a time where you've driven home, maybe it's a normal drive for you, and you've reached your driveway and then you suddenly thought, I don't remember going through that intersection. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So you, you're driving home, you've got the same pattern, and like you, you go through these intersections, and you get home, you're like, I really, I know my eyes were open, there must not have been a terrible accident, because here I am in my driveway, I made it safe and sound, there are no flashing lights behind me, but I really don't remember going through that intersection. We do it all the time, we, we make our way through life, and we find ourselves just kind of asleep at the wheel, if you will. And our eyes could be open. We do it in our marriages. 
and, and you go through marriage and maybe a couple years in and you look and there's not been any major eruption, there's not been any major conflict, but there's not the connection that there was before and you don't know when that happened, you don't know how that happened, it's just something is different and you were not aware of it. You were not, you didn't see it coming. It could be something with your children and, and, and maybe there is stuff going on, but you'd really rather not deal with it right now. And so we just kind of find something that brings us comfort and peace and we doze off to sleep and we don't even realize what's going on in the lives of our family or in those closest, those people who are closest to it. Maybe even it's intentional on your part and you find ways in which to sort of sedate yourself to sleep. And so you think, you know what, I'm probably drinking too much, but it's how I make it through the day. Or more likely than that, somebody in your house recognizes, man, he's coming home, she's coming home every day, and, and it's not just that they have a drink at the end of the day, it's turning into something more than that. And so we even find ourselves trying to, to do things that, that can comfort ourselves and, and lull ourselves into a state of sleep because we don't want to face necessarily the reality of our life. We don't want to face the reality in our family. We don't want to face the reality in our work. And so sometimes we fall asleep accidentally, but sometimes we seek ways to be asleep. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, y'all with me? Okay, nod your head. I'm making sure you're still awake. All right, so we, 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 can, we can lull ourselves into sleep, and we can find ourselves sleeping when we didn't necessarily mean to. And it's not just individuals that do this. Uh, family units do this. Uh, societies as a whole can do this. And, and certainly, Churches can do this. Um, anybody who's been involved or if you've gone through American history, you may remember that in the late 17 and 1800s, there were periods of time that historians look back and they call them the Great Awakenings. The First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. And it was really a time in the life of the United States when something happened and Christians and the church uh, had a revival. And, and it's interesting to me that when they look at it, they call it an awakening because it was as if the church and Christians had been asleep and suddenly they were awake. They were aware of what was going on around them. They were aware of the activity of God in their life, of the spirit moving in their life. They were aware of tremendous needs in culture and society. Some of the church's greatest works found their genesis during the Great Awakening. Things like things like the YMCA and things like, uh, things like goodwill, all those things came out of an awareness that the church said, wait a minute, wait a minute, we have dozed off to sleep. God is at work around us and he's inviting, he's inviting us, his church, to join him in what is going on. And so I just began to think, even a little more than a year ago, as we began to think about this series, I began to think about this season in the life of our church, and I began to ask myself a question, what would it be like today if every follower of Jesus in the United States suddenly and abruptly woke up, what would happen? What would happen if suddenly every person who says, hey, I, I'm, I believe in Christ. I'm, I'm not talking about people who aren't. Just, just those of us who say, yes, we've committed our lives to follow after Jesus. What if every one of those individuals woke up? What if just every Christian at Southside Baptist Church suddenly woke up? And then I began to think, what if just you, what if just I woke up? What could happen? What would God do in us and what could God do through us if suddenly we were to wake up and be aware of what's going on? First of all, in our own hearts. What's happening in your own heart? What's God doing in your own life? 
in, in, in your, the people closest to you, your family, your friends, your tightest circle of community? What would happen if you just woke up? What would happen if the members of that house woke up? What would happen if your small group, the Bible study group that you get, what would happen if they woke up? What would happen if our church was suddenly awake and aware? So for the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about awakening. We're going to take a look at the Bible of people who have drifted off to sleep and were suddenly awoken. What was going on in their life at the time? What did God say to them? What was God doing in them? What did God ultimately do through them? And we want to identify ways in which we are spiritually sleeping. Not other people. We're not trying to cast stones at others. We're just saying, let's look in the mirror here and say, what ways am I spiritually asleep? In what ways is God inviting me to be awoken to what he's doing in, in, in my life? So we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to do something personal inside of us. And we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to do something in our church. And we're going to take six weeks to do this. And I'm going to give you a little bit more information about it in just, in just a few minutes as we get towards the end of the message today. Because there's a way that you can, you can join with us in this effort. And we're going to talk about that. But today, as we get started, I want to take a look at the first example of narcoleptic Christianity. Because it's not a new problem. It actually goes all the way back to the very beginning. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John or Matthew chapter 26. We've been in John so long, I... Just say it out of habit. Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, we'll begin in verse 36. And let me set this up for you because it's been a busy, busy day in the life of Jesus and his disciples. Um, they have found a place to celebrate the Passover. Uh, so they had, to, they had to find this room. They had to set things up. It's an it's a important meal, a, a very important feast, but it was a particularly important event in the lives of the disciples on this occasion. So they set this room up. They, they may do all the preparations. They make their way to the room. They have an intense time with Jesus. We don't know how long it lasted. My guess would be it takes several hours. If any of you have ever been a part of a Seder dinner, Passover Seder dinner, you know it takes a while. So my guess is this was a, a prolonged experience in the upper room. It was an emotionally taxing experience. Jesus had revealed that somebody, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So there's tension in the air. Everybody's concerned about that. Uh, Jesus serves the, the Passover meal, and then he adds these new meanings to it, the bread, that this is my body that's broken for you. This is my blood that's poured out for you. He's continually talking about how he's going to leave them, and they're nervous about that. They're not ready for Jesus to leave. They don't understand what's going on. And then Jesus washes their feet, and, and they're humiliated by this experience that nobody else had thought to do it, but Jesus humbled himself and washed their feet. So they're going through all of this, and then Jesus says, okay, guys, let's go out into the garden to pray. So they, they walk out of the upper room. They leave that place. They walk a good distance. Jesus is talking to them, and they make their way up to a place where Jesus had gone frequently, the Garden of Gethsemane. And then we get Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, now this is all 11, remember Judas has already left, so there are 11 of them around, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, this is, this is important because Jesus is telling them, I'm done entertaining you right now. Okay, this is not about you anymore. 
This is about me and about something that God is going to do in me and through me, and I'm going to spend some time in prayer. We've spent all this time. I've just spent hours and hours with you, teaching you, talking to you. I've spent three years teaching you and talking to you. We just, I gave you a demonstration in the Passover and in washing your feet. Guys, I just need you to sit here. I'm going over there. Just sit here. The entertainment is over. Okay, I'm, This is not about you. Okay, we could spend the whole day just on that idea right there. This is not about you anymore. God is doing something bigger than what he's just doing inside of these 11 disciples' lives. So sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So something's going on. And, and, and you would think that Peter, James, and John, of the 12, these were the three that were the closest to Jesus that they would have picked up on this on this trouble that Jesus was facing. That Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't laughing. Jesus wasn't trying to have a good time. Jesus wasn't investing in them and trying to teach them something's going on. Jesus is distraught. Jesus is disturbed. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. In other words, guys, I've pulled you away from the others. Because I need you to do something for me. I need you to watch. I need you to stay here. My soul is being ripped apart. I feel like I'm about to die. I need you guys right now. I need you. And we don't know what James and Peter and John said, but my guess is they would said what any of us would say. Sure, Lord, whatever you need, Jesus. I'm, I'm your guy. I mean, I, I'm your man. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep watch. Now, the idea of keeping watch, we, we, we hear that and we read it in the Bible, but we might not really understand what it means. They would have understood what it meant to keep watch at a time where there wasn't necessarily the safety and security that we've grown accustomed to in our culture and day and age. Whenever a group of people would be traveling and they would sleep on the roads, there would be somebody who was called to keep watch. They were called to, to, to guard everybody. They, they were to stay awake so that other people could sleep, and they would take turns keeping watch. So Jesus said, stay here and keep watch. Now, these guys, these three fellas, Peter, James, and John, had been called by Jesus on another occasion to go with him away from the other disciples. So Jesus understood and knew the track record they have. And I'd like us to look at it for just a second because it's very revealing about what's going to happen in this in this scene here. So if you, if, you have, if you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, you see this other occasion. Jesus um, is going up on this mountain. He calls the same three, Peter, James, and John. Hey guys, come with me up on this mountain. They go up on this mountain and they have an incredible experience. I mean, Jesus is up there. He's praying. Suddenly, Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. Jesus' robe is glowing white. I mean, it's like there is revival. God is pouring out on this mountain. And you think James, Peter, and John, man, they're so they're so fortunate to be selected to go up on this mountain, to be with Jesus, to be firsthand witnesses of all this. And look what it says now. Peter and those who were with him, that's James and John, were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. In other words, you're sleeping in class. The teacher calls on you and you say, 42 squared. <laughs> Problem is you're in English. Yeah. All right. So, so catch what's going on here. 
Peter, James, and John are on the mountain. Their eyes are heavy with sleep. They're so sleepy that they're not even aware that Moses and Elijah have showed up. That Jesus is glowing. I mean, there is something happening. But suddenly, something sparks them and they wake up just in time to see Moses and Elijah leave and to see this light happening. And so Peter just blurts out, and listen to what it says at the end there, not knowing what he said. Why? Because he had not been fully awake to see the activity that God was doing around him. And so he was suddenly awoken and he missed everything. He missed everything that God had been doing, everything that God had been saying. The whole event was totally lost on these guys. These were the same three that Jesus said, hey, come with me in the garden and keep watch. Matthew 26, verse 39. So going on a little farther, he, Jesus, fell on his face and prayed. Now listen to this prayer. It's one of the most famous prayers that Jesus prayed. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What's the cup? The cup is the sacrifice that Jesus is about to be called to make. That Jesus would sacrifice his life on the cross. That Jesus himself would bear the burden and the penalty of the sins of all mankind throughout all of history. And he's going to the Father at, at his hour of deepest need. And he's saying, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, would you, would you let it pass? But not my will, God. I want your will. I'll do whatever it takes. So he's out there praying. We don't know how long he prayed, but he's praying. So he goes back and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Peter? James, John, could, could you guys not stay awake one hour while I'm over here pouring out my heart to God and all you guys, all I asked you to do was to keep watch. Could you not keep watch for one hour? We often think about Peter's greatest failure in the courtyard of the official when Jesus was being tried. Do you remember the story? In the upper room, you know, Jesus said, all of you are going to abandon me. And Peter said, "Uh uh-uh, not me, Lord. No way am I going to abandon you. I'm with you to the end, even if it means I die. And Jesus said, Peter, Peter, Peter. (laughs) Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, "Mm -mm, no way. We think about that. And you you remember the story. So he's in the garden. He's in this courtyard. And he, he completely folds when a middle school girl comes up to him and asks him if he's from Galilee. I mean, he's a complete coward. And he denies Jesus three times. And suddenly he, sees, he hears the rooster crow and Jesus looks down from the balcony and sees Peter and makes eye contact with him. And he's crushed. And we think about that as Peter's greatest failure. But let me ask you something. What if Peter's greatest failure didn't begin in the courtyard of that royal official? What if his greatest failure actually began in the garden with Jesus? When he fell asleep, when he dozed off to sleep, when Jesus had said, Peter, keep watch, be aware. And then Jesus, as he comes back, can you not stay awake one hour? Jesus says something to them that is really, really important for these three guys, but it's important for you today. This verse is critical for us as a church. And as we go into this season, this 40 days of awakening, this verse is really key for all of us. Listen to what he said, these words to Peter, James, and John, and to us 2,000 years later. He said this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Guys, I'm telling you, 
you need to be awake. You need to watch and you need to pray. Because you're going to fall into temptation. I'm just, I'm telling you, if you don't do these things, if you don't watch and you don't pray, it's not, not just the fact that you let me down. I asked you to keep watching. You slept while I prayed. It's bigger than that. You will fall into temptation and your, your spirit is willing. But I'm telling you, your body, your flesh is weak. So again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. How many of you feel like that in your Christian walk right now? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have had times like that? where you feel like, you know, you have this experience with Jesus, something happens, he nudges you awake, he gives you a word, watch and pray, temptation is around. He, no sooner have you left, no sooner has a week passed than you find yourself in exactly the same condition you were before you had that spiritual experience with Jesus. I mean, it happens to all of us. If you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll find yourself in this repetition, this cycle. You're like, why couldn't I learn that lesson the first time? It's exactly where these guys were. And we don't understand, we don't know what they said. Matthew doesn't tell us, but Mark says something important about this encounter. Mark chapter 14, verse 40. And again, he, Jesus, came and found them asleeping. This is the second time, for their eyes were very heavy. And listen to what Mark adds. And they did not know what to answer him. What are you going to say? I mean, you guys are sleeping again? I mean, what, what, do you, what excuse are you going to offer? They did not know what to say. It, it's almost like the time when they were up on the mountain and Peter just blurts out an answer and he didn't know what he was saying because they were so dulled by sleep. They had been lulled into sleep yet again. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep, meaning they'd fallen asleep again, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I think about this story. I, you know, I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read the Bible, one of the things that helps me is to put myself in the position of some of the characters in the Bible. To try to think, what would, they have felt, what would that have felt like? What would that have been like? And I put myself, and it's not hard for me to imagine myself as Peter, James, and John, because I don't know about you, but, but I, I, I can relate to this. I can relate to the fact that time and time and time and time and time again, I will doze off to sleep, and Jesus comes, and he's constantly saying, Gary, wake up. Wake up, and I'm like, okay, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake, I'm awake. Meanwhile, Hebrews tells us that what is Jesus still doing now? He's at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing there? He's interceding for you and for me. Just like he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. That Jesus doesn't sleep. Jesus doesn't give up on me even though I'm falling asleep time and again. And here in this story, Peter, James, and John are there in the garden sleeping while Jesus is pouring his heart out, prepared to face the cross to pay for their sins. And they're asleep. And church, we're asleep. I'm asleep. And what would it be like to wake up? What would it be like to shed this narcoleptic Christianity and be fully alive and fully aware of what it is that God wants to do? I want to go back and I want to look at this key verse, Matthew 26, 41. It's, it's going to be your memory verse today. 
If you're going to engage with us in this, we need to find ways for you to engage, not just for an hour on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. So as you leave today, we're going to give you a card that's got a memory verse every week. And you can take this card and you can stick it somewhere and look at it every day and try to memorize this verse. But I want you to read it with me for now. Let's just read it together. Ready? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. Yes, so this idea, what, what is Jesus saying through this verse? What is, he, what is he trying to tell us? A couple things that are so important. First, that temptation is everywhere and that we are weak. Temptation is everywhere and we are weak. Do you know, it doesn't take you long to go through the course of a day to find some temptation to doze off, to be unaware, to be lulled into sleep. And here's the thing about temptation. Temptation is itself not sin. Okay? Some of you need to understand that. Temptation is not sin. Temptation leads to sin, but temptation itself is not sin. Which means that temptation can actually be good things. Often temptation actually is a good thing. But temptation is everywhere. And it's all around us. And it looks different for each one of us. So, Temptation is going to pull us and lull us into sleep. What is it for you? I began to think about some of the things that people are lulled to sleep by in our culture today, and there's no shortage of them. I mean, social media. So, so you, you don't want to face the reality of your life, and so you spend how many minutes, hours a day looking at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever they are? How, many, how, how much How much time are you spending scrolling through other people's lives, avoiding your own? There are other things. There's sports. How much of your life are are you spending following stats and statistics of athletes and teams that you care about, that you love, and, and meanwhile, you're totally unaware of what it is that God's calling you to do? What about movies and entertainment? What about Netflix, Amazon Prime? Hulu, how much time are you spending scrolling through being entertained to sleep? Come on. What about, what about work? Things aren't going well at home, but you're having a measure of success at work, and so it's just a lot easier where people appreciate you, where people acknowledge the good that you do, and so you give yourself a little bit more to work and a little less at home, and meanwhile you're being lulled to sleep the whole time. What is it for you? What lulls you to sleep? Listen, these, none of these things in and of themselves are bad things. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not suggesting that Christians can't go see movies or Christians can't follow their favorite sports teams or Christians can't have a Facebook page. I'm just asking you, is that a temptation? And are you awake and aware? Are you watching and praying? Are you being lulled to sleep? And in that state, are in danger of falling, not just into temptation, but falling into sin. Listen, churches can be a temptation. You find yourself saying, you know what? I don't want to face the real world. I don't want to face the reality of my family, my life, my neighborhood, but I feel awfully great when I'm at church. I mean, it can be church. It can be anything. What is it that lulls you to sleep? Because it's everywhere. It's at the It's at the tip of your fingers. It's in your pocket right now. What is it? The second problem Jesus points out is that our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Here, here, this is this is important. When I when I began to think about this, it really it really helped me to understand when Jesus said, Listen, your spirit is willing. 
Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to Peter, James, and John. There were no, if there, if there were such a thing as Christians at this time, there were no better Christians on the planet than Peter, James, and John. And he's saying to them, these are people we name our children after. We build, we build cathedrals and name them after these guys. And, and he says to them, your spirit is willing, but it's not enough for your spirit to be willing. Because you're still made of flesh and your flesh is weak. We're weak. Do you know what your spiritual sedative is? Spiritual sedative, that thing that lulls you to sleep. Are you right now? Here's, my, here's what I'm guessing for most of you. Most of you, the minute I said it, you knew what it was. And then you immediately started to try to come up with excuses about why that's not true. Am I right? Come on. Some of you immediately, the minute I said it, something immediately came to your mind and then you started offering all these, something inside of you just started saying, but you just need to unwind when you get off work. It's long. I mean, that's not even realistic. Maybe that's good for him because we pay him to be holy and righteous and all that stuff, but he doesn't know what it's like in the real. I mean, you immediately started. The spirit is willing, but the, but the flesh is weak. So what does Jesus say to do? The first thing he does is he says, watch, keep your eyes open. What were those guys supposed to be doing? They were supposed to keep their eyes on him. He had gone a little bit farther away from them. They were to stand there and they were to watch him. The first thing you need to do is you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. Listen to what the writer writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now that's not what he means here, but do you know there are people watching you? There are children watching you. There's a generation watching you. And it matters how you live your life. And it matters if you're awake or asleep and aware of what God is doing. Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did that sound like joy in Matthew 26 as Jesus prayed? The cross didn't sound like joy. You know what the joy was? The joy was the fact that he knew that he was doing that for you and for me. You're the source of his joy. That's what brought him joy, that he would endure that for us. So keep watch and pray. And listen, it wasn't just that they were, he didn't just call Peter to do that. What did he do? He called them in community because we all need accountability We're seldom conscious of drifting off to sleep, are we? If we were conscious of it, we wouldn't do it. So what do we need? We need somebody beside us to throw an elbow in our rib and say, hey, you know what? I think you're sleeping. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Do you have anybody who's willing to say, you know what? I think you're asleep. I don't think you're aware of what your wife really meant when she said that to you. You blew up at her, but do you know what she was really saying? Let me tell you what she said. Do you know that's the the test of a true friend? Somebody who, who will say not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, usually at a time when you don't want to hear it. Do you have anybody throwing elbows in your ribs saying, stay awake? Stay awake, you're drifting off to sleep, you're drinking too much, you're, you're entertaining yourself too much, you're not spending enough time with your kids. Do you have anybody like that in your life? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite you to take the 40-day challenge because this, listen, if all I do is get up here in six weeks, preach stories about people who fell asleep in the Bible, you know what you'll leave? You'll, you'll leave here with more Bible trivia and Bible knowledge, and it won't do you any good. And you'll be able to say, you know what? I can tell you five people who fell asleep in the Bible. And, and all your friends will be like, oh, that's cool. It won't do you any good. But if, if, if you take this personally, If you take this seriously and you say, he's not talking to somebody else, he's talking to me. Because that's the other thing we do, don't we? We're sitting here thinking, man, I sure wish she were here to hear this. Sure wish he were here to hear this. I can't wait to tell, I can't wait to send them the link to this podcast. What if it's not for them? What if it's for you? 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to engage for 40 days. It begins September 2nd, which is this coming Wednesday. So you've got a few days to, to binge on all your spiritual sedatives. <laughs> but we're going to ask you to take this challenge for 40 days. Tuesday night is call to prayer. We're going to begin that night with a time together to stand together and to watch and pray. We invite all of you to come. We'll be in the, fellowship, or in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, we begin this 40 days. And here's the challenge. Inside your bulletin this morning, you got a card. It looks like this. And it's got two sections, the top and the bottom. I just want to take just a minute, and I want to walk you through this card. Because in just a few minutes, we're going to give you the opportunity to respond uh, with this card Uh, to your commitment. The bottom section, there's perforated. You can go ahead and separate that out. You keep the top, you turn the bottom in. Here's the challenge. One hour every day, one hour every day to draw near to the Lord, to spend time in prayer and meditation and Bible reading. Maybe you need something to help you do that. Maybe you need some kind of devotion guide to tell you, I don't even know what to read in the Bible. We've got three books that we recommend for you that are 40-day challenge books. All of these are available in the media center just out these doors to the left. You can order them on amazon.com as well. Pick one of them and let that help guide you through the 40 days. If you're somebody who says, I don't even know what to read when I go to the Bible, let this help you. We're going to ask you to spend one hour every day. And here's what you are going to have to do to do that. You're going to have to sacrifice time somewhere else, aren't you? You're going to have to get up earlier. You're going to have to stay up later. You're going to have to do something. But maybe the thing that you can do is to set aside your spiritual sedative for 40 days. That's the second part of the challenge, to fast for 40 days. Now, when you hear fast, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I I, I can't go without food for 40 days. We're not asking you to go without food for 40 days. I'm asking you to go without whatever that spiritual sedative is, whatever that first thing that came to your mind that you know you're using to lull yourself to sleep, that's your thing. I don't know what your thing is. My thing's different than your thing. We're all going to have different things, but for 40 days to give it up cold turkey. I mean, to say, I'm just not doing, I'm not, I'm not having that for 40 days. I'm setting that aside for 40 days and to use that time to invest with the Lord. And finally, we're going to ask you to engage with other people that you cannot do this alone. You need to have an accountability partner. You need to be involved in a small group where you can pray together, pray for each other, pray for other people's spiritual awakenings, and ask them to pray for you. Now, on the back of this card, what we've done is we put together just a 40, 40 boxes with one suggestion every day of something you can do during your hour. Um, this is, there's nothing nothing magic about this. I mean, this is just some things that, some things that we're talking about on Sundays and you can read about through the week. So you can use this card. If you want to use this card, you can use the books, you can do whatever it is that's going to help engage you with God for 40 days for one hour. And then the bottom, here's what we're going to ask you to do. Take the bottom and tear it off. If you are willing to take the 40 day challenge, we're asking you just to sign this commitment card. And on the back, if you would like for us to pray for you specifically, not about somebody else, about you, How can we pray for your spiritual awakening? We're going to ask you to write that down on the card right there. So I'm going to take just a few minutes now, and and there should be pens in the pews or in the chairs somewhere around you. You can borrow people's pens, but take just a couple seconds and and pray about this and fill this card out. And, and And then in just a few minutes, as the musicians come, we're going to give you the chance to come and bring these cards up here and put them in this chest if you're willing to take this 40 day challenge with us. I want to read a verse to you. Romans 13, 11 says this. Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. This is Paul 
writing to the church, he says, the time is now. The time is now for you to wake up. Here, let me give you some warnings about what's going to happen. This is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And actually, if you get through this 40 days and it's been easy, you, you might not have been doing something right. I'm not saying it won't be good. I'm not saying it won't be worth it. I'm just saying it won't be easy. You may stumble and you may fail. You just pick up and you start the next day. Because it's that important. It's that crucial for you and for the people around you. Because you're not going to do it perfectly. We're not seeking perfection here. We're, speak, we're seeking awareness. Why, why am I asking you to do this? Why am I seeking us as a church to do this? Well, it's time that we woke up. Church, we're losing a generation of people. Do you know nine out of ten of the high school students that graduate and go off to school, nine out of ten of them will leave the church and leave their faith behind? Nine out of ten. Of the nine that walk away, only three will ever come back. We've got a 60% failure rate, church. We need to wake up. Listen, church, why do we need to do this? Because do you know that the rate of divorce among evangelical Christians is higher than the rest of society right now? We need to wake up and see what's going on in our families. Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Something is happening, and we're sleeping through it. We're totally unaware of it, and we need to wake up. When you do surveys of Christians and you ask questions about depression and hopelessness, the, the rate of hopelessness and despair and depression among Christians is the same as the rest of the world. And you got to say, then something cannot be right. Something is wrong. And it's time we wake up, church. It's time we wake up. It's time we wake up and recognize there are things inside of our lives that in and of themselves are not bad things, but God has called us to better things. And we're satisfying ourselves with entertainment and we're satisfying ourselves with appeasement and we're satisfying ourselves with comfort when Jesus' invitation to us as Christians is take up your cross and follow after me. And we're sleeping. And the time has come. The time is here for you to wake up. For you to get serious about what it is that God's calling you to. For the kind of influence God is inviting you to be in your home and in your community and at your workplace. And for there to be renewal and awakening, not just in your home or in our church, but in our city. Do you know every great awakening always began with one person who had committed themselves to follow after the Lord? Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord's Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those who, hearts who are fully committed to him. I want to be that heart. What about you? I want Southside to have that heart. I want to say, God, whatever you want to do, I want to be awake and alert, and I want to be available for you to do it in me. I want to be awake and alert for you to do it in us, Lord. We can't be satisfied with anything less. It's too important. Will you pray? And then if you would commit to take the 40-day challenge, we're just asking you to bring that card and put up. Some of you may not be ready. Some of you may need to pray for two days. Come Tuesday night, call to prayer, and bring your card then. But we want you to pray about being a part of this about being a part of this journey about being part of the awakening father we come to you today and like peter james and john we've got nothing to say we've got no excuses 
Lord, you've come to us time and again and you've nudged us, you've called us, you've invited us, you've wooed us, you've taught us, you've washed our feet, you've served us, you died for us, and we're still sleeping. And Lord, there's nothing we can do except except listen to your words when you warned the disciples to watch and pray. Father, we're weak. We confess that to you today. Our bodies are weak. Our spirits may be willing, but our bodies are weak. Lord, help us. Help us to be fully awake, fully alive, fully aware that you may do a work in us that becomes a work through us that we would see renewal and awakening in our families, in our city, and even around the world. Lord, let it begin in me. In Jesus' name, I pray.